Welcome to News Flash for Tuesday, 1st May 2018. It's 7 p.m. Singapore time. And happy May Day! French firm Alstom has won a contract to supply 17 new MRT trains to increase the capacity of the Northeast Line and Circle Line. The new trains will all be equipped with condition monitoring systems which can track the health of onboard equipment, thus allowing up operators to carry out predictive maintenance to boost reliability. The additional capacity will support the upcoming Northeast Line Extension, or NELE, and the sixth stage of the Circle Line, or CCL6. The deal, worth about $250 million, was signed by Alstom and the Land Transport Authority, or LTA, on yesterday, during a ceremony held at the Sengkang Depot. Of the 17 trains, six will be deployed to the Northeast Line, increasing the fleet size from 43 to 49. With 11 new trains, the Circle Line fleet will grow from 64 to 75 trains. Circle Line trains each have three cars, while the Northeast Line trains have six cars each. The trains are manufactured and assembled in Elstone's manufacturing facility in Barcelona, Spain. The LTA said the Northeast Line trains will be progressively shipped here from 2020 and the Circle Line ones from the following year. They will undergo testing and commissioning before they are put into service when the extensions open, the authority added. In addition to condition monitoring systems, the 11 Circle Line trains will have sensors on the current collector shoes to detect any dislodgements of the devices. The train's collector shoes draw power from the third rail. Two of the new Circle Line trains will each be fitted with an Automatic Track Inspection, or ATI, system, which enables monitoring of the running rails, track equipment and sleepers while the trains are in operation, the LTA also said. It's added, the ATI system supplements existing track inspection activities for timely and more effective identification of rail and track site components which require maintenance. The 1.6 kilometers NELE, which opens in 2023, will extend the current 16-station line by one station, Pongo Coast. The extension will open in tandem with the first phase of developments in the Pongo Digital District, bringing rail connectivity to the area. Meanwhile, the 4.3 kilometers three-station CCL6 will close the loop for the Circle Line, linking up the current stops of Harbourfront and Marina Bay stations. When the CCL6 stations are completed in 2025, the CCL will have a total of 33 stations, including 12 interchange stations connected to other MRT lines. Gas tariffs for households will increase by 0.6% for the next quarter, City Gas said yesterday. The 0.11 cents per kilowatt hour increment from 18.42 cents per kWh to 18.53 cents per kWh will be applicable for the period from May 1st to July 31st. The increase is due to the higher cost of producing and delivering town gas, City Gas said. City Gas reviews gas tariffs based on guidelines set by the Energy Markets Authority, the gas industry regulator. This is the second consecutive increase in gas tariffs. In January, City Gas said gas tariffs for households would increase by 4.19% or 0.74 cents per kWh for the period from February 1st to April 30th. 
It attributed this mainly to a 15.6% increase in fuel costs compared with the previous quarter. Tariffs had remained unchanged for the period from November 1, 2017 to January 31, 2018. A man accused in a viral Facebook post of picking up a toddler in a giant grocery store over the weekend with an implied intention of taking him away has been identified as a person with special needs. Police said yesterday that it was not a case of attempted abduction while confirming that a report was lodged. The police said, A 31-year-old man with special needs is currently assisting with investigations. We urge members of the public not to speculate or spread unsub unsubstantiated information which may generate unnecessary public alarm. Madam Nur Shahira Muhammad Amin, 26, wrote in, wrote in a post on Saturday that she had been queuing up to pay for groceries at the giant outlet in Jurong's IMM when a man in red suddenly carried her son, who is just over a year old. She said yesterday that he looked like he wanted to take her son away, but was stopped by her husband, who was nearby, before he could. She said, My husband was shocked. He asked him, Why did you carry my son? I'm not sure what his intention, intention was. He looked like he wanted to take my son away, but I don't know where to. The incident escalated and giant staff, security and the police were called in. Madam Shahira said, it became a police case because the guy in red said he wanted to call the police, so my husband called them as well, and they came within 10 minutes. The incident occurred between 5 and 6 p.m. on Saturday. Madam Shahira, who works in administration, said she posted the information to ask parents to be alert to their surroundings. Her Facebook post has gone viral with more than 1,200 likes and 6,600 shares. The post has since been made private. When contacted, the toddler's father, Mr. Muhammad Haziz, expressed shock that the man has special needs. The 40-year-old aircraft technician said that his wife had shared the incident to tell her friends with young kids to be vigilant. The Association for Persons with Special Needs, or APSN, said in a Facebook post yesterday that the man in red was one of its trainees who had mild intellectual disability. APSN said the matter was a misunderstanding, based on its understanding of the case. It said the man had approached the boy as he was shouting, and had picked him up as he thought the child was lost. APSN said the police took statements from the man who, who assisted in investigations. It said, APSN would like to reassure members of the public that we are working closely with the trainee and his family, the police and all relevant authorities towards the resolution of this matter. Speaking at his first May Day rally as incoming leader of the National Trades Union Congress, or NTUC, Mr. Ng Chi Meng has promised to walk the ground and listen to workers. Mr. Ng said at a rally at Downtown East today, I have things that I would like to achieve for our working people. Together with our tripartite partners and labour movement leaders, I would like to walk the, walk the ground with you, hear your views, and chart a clear direction forward. He added that he would like to conduct more dialogues with workers to better address their needs and challenges and to help them get a clearer understanding of the 23 Industry Transformation Maps, or ITMs, which map out growth plans for 23 specific sectors. Mr. Ng also cautioned against taking progress for granted. 
Singapore has come far in terms of economic progress and securing better job prospects for its people, he noted. But in an age of technological disruption, workers must not be complacent and must be poised to seize new opportunities in the future economy and regional markets, he said. This is the first May Day rally for Mr Ng in his capacity as an NTUC leader. He begins serving full-time in the NTUC from this month. He is widely expected to expected to eventually take on the top role of Secretary-General, replacing Minister for Trade and Industry and NTUC Secretary-General Chan Chun-sing, who was asked by PM Lee Hsien-Lung to return to the government. Last week, Mr Ng and Senior Minister of State for Trade and Industry Ko Po Kun were unveiled as Deputy Secretaries-General of the NTUC. One key component of Singapore's restructuring efforts is the 23 ITMs, said Dr Ko, who has been overseeing the ITMs at the Ministry of Trade and Industry. He said, For the last two and a half years, I eat, sleep and dream about ITMs. I think my dreams will get more exciting and colourful. I have 23 different dreams to dream about now. There are three things that need to be done to ensure that the ITMs can be implemented smoothly, added Dr Ko, who also spoke at today's rally. They are, namely, communicating not just why the ITMs have to be rolled out, but how they can be implemented, bringing more people into the labour movement, and predicting the needs of the future so that courses and content can be designed to meet their needs. Moving to Asia news, a landslide killed nine people in a village in northern China yesterday, the authorities said. The disaster occurred in the village of Tai Jiazhuang shortly before 5 a.m. local time. Luliang, municipal government in Shanxi province, said on its official social media account. More than 100 firefighters, medical workers and rescuers, some using earth-moving machinery, were sent to the site to search for survivors trapped under fallen earth. The cause of the landslide has not been confirmed. A landslide in 2008 in Luliang City killed 19 people. Indonesia is ready to be the host nation if North Korean leader Kim Jong-un and US President Donald Trump plan to meet to discuss peace in the Korean Peninsula, Indonesia President Joko Widodo said yesterday. President Joko met North Korea's Ambassador An Kwang Il and South Korea's Ambassador Kim Chang Byom at the State Palace yesterday. If there is a plan of meeting between DPRK leader Kim Jong-un and President Donald Trump, we offer to be the host. We are ready for the hosting of the meeting, President Joko told a press conference after his meeting with the ambassadors. He said his meeting with both ambassadors follows the summit between Mr Kim and South Korean President Moon Jae-in last week. He said, Indonesia fully supports the summit and expects the process can be followed up in the forms of agreements, which we hope they will positively affect the peace process in the region and the world. He also invited the two Koreas to participate in the Asian Games, which will be held in Jakarta and Palembang in August to September this year, Antara News Agency reported. Philippine President Rodrigo Duterte today signed an executive order banning employ-on-contract practices, even as tens of thousands of workers marked Labor Day with a huge rally to call him out for reneging on a key campaign promise. Ending short-term labor was one of Mr Duterte's many campaign promises. 
two-thirds of the country's 39 million to 40 million workforce are on short-term contracts, according to a 2016 government estimate. Mr. Duterte said in his Labor Day speech, To all non-compliant and abusive employees who are engaged in labor contracting, your days are numbered. The order, which he signed as he began his speech, bans illegal contracting and subcontracting. It also prohibits any undertaking to circumvent the workers' rights to security of tenure. The practice is popularly called ENDO, an abbreviation of End of Contract. He said, I remain firm in my commitment to end ENDO and illegal contractualization. The Philippines allows employees to hire workers to meet demand at peak times. These contracts typically span five months to avoid a six-month rule that would require employers to make an employee permanent. In 2011, the labor agency allowed companies to engage contractors to supply workers for short-term jobs, helping spread the practice of endo to job-intensive sectors such as retailing and manufacturing. Mr. Duterte admitted his order would not be enough, and that Congress would have to pass a law that would cover more workers. Labour leaders say the, said the order was a disappointment. May One Movement, or KMU Chairman Bong Labok, said, It is a betrayal of our co covenant and an insult to workers. Labour groups had chaffed at government plans to narrow the scope of the ban on endo to contractors that supplied workers and exclude large shopping mall chains and factories. The KMU said in a statement, Workers are outraged over Duterte's rejection of our demand to end all forms of contractualization. We are not buying these desperate and repeated ploys to quell the labor sector's growing protests and unity against his failed promises. The Employers' Confederation of the Philippines said its members would comply with the order. The group's president, Ed Lexon, said, It is a well-crafted order that balances the welfare of labor and allows legal contractual employment, which is a globally accepted form of work arrangement. Some 10,000 workers marched to Manachanang, the seat of the government, today to press the demand for a total ban on short-term labor. The KMU said it expects over 100,000 workers to join the rally by day's end. North and South Korea began dismantling loudspeakers that bled propaganda across their heavily fortified border today, South Korea's defense ministry said, fulfilling a promise made at last week's historic summit. The moves are the first practical, if small, steps towards reconciliation after Friday's meeting between South Korean President Moon Jae-in and the North's leader, Kim Jong-un. Moon, meanwhile, asked that the United Nations help verify North Korea's planned shutdown of its Pongye-Reed nuclear test site in a phone conversation today with UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres, a statement from the presidential Blue House said. Guterres said the request need approval from the UN Security Council, but he wanted to cooperate to build peace on the Korean Peninsula and would assign a UN official in charge of arms control to cooperate with South Korea, the statement said. <coughs> Several days before Friday's summit, the North surprised the world by declaring it would dismantle the test site to transparently guarantee its dramatic commitment to stop all nuclear and missile tests. 
the Pongye Ri site, where North Korea has conducted all six of its nuclear tests, consists of a system of tunnels dug beneath Mount Manta in the northeastern part of the country. Some experts and researchers have speculated the most recent and by far largest blast in September had rendered the entire site unusable. But Kim said that there were two additional larger tunnels that remain in very good condition. Along the border, South Korea started taking down its loudspeakers on Tuesday afternoon, a defense official said. Activity at several spots along the border indicated North Koreans were doing the same, he said. For decades, with only a few breaks, the two sides have pumped out propaganda from huge banks of speakers as a form of psychological warfare. The South broadcast a mix of news, Korean pop songs, and criticism of the, of the northern regime, while the North blasted the southern government and praised its own socialist system. As a sign of goodwill, the South had stopped its propaganda ahead of the summit, and the North followed suit. The incremental steps come amid speculation about where Kim will meet U.S. President Donald Trump, who said their planned summit could take place in three or four weeks. Trump tweeted yesterday that meeting Kim at the Peace House in the demilitarized zone, where Moon met Kim, would be an excellent venue. He later told reporters at the White House, There's something I, that I like about it because you're there, you're actually there. Where, if things work out, there's a great celebration to be had on the site, not in a third-party country. But a senior U.S. official said Singapore was still high on the list of potential sites. Singapore Prime Minister Lee Hsien Loong said on Saturday Singapore had not had any requests to host the Kim Trump meeting. South Korea's presidential blue house seems to welcome the prospect of hosting the meeting in Panmunjom, the border village where the peace house is located. A senior presidential official told reporters asking not to be identified because of the sensitivity of the matter. Panmunjom is quite meaningful as a place to erode the divine and establish a new milestone for peace. Wouldn't Panmunjom be the most symbolic place? And about news on the Malaysian election, Sembrong MP Datuk Sari Hishamuddin Hussein has criticised enforcement officers who cut out the face of Pakatan Harapan Chairman Tun Dr Mahathir Muhammad from a billboard in Ayah Hitam, Johor. However, it is not certain if the enforcement officers are from the local council or the election commission, or EC. I don't agree and I don't like what the enforcement officers have done. There are many ways to enforce the rules and regulations, but it is not proper to cut out the face of Dr. Mahathir from the billboard. If the billboard is not right, bring it down, or not cut the photos from the billboard. He told reporters during his visits to Kampong Orang Asli in Kahang. According to the new guidelines by the EC, campaign images are limited to the area's candidates as well as party and deputy party chiefs of the candidate's registered party. Dr. Mahathir is not a candidate in Johor. Datuk Sarihishamudin said, Even if rules were broken, what they did is not correct. I do not want to see such acts by enforcement officers, whether it is for candidates from our party or the opposition. And this just in, a man who allegedly opened the emergency exit door of a plane on the tarmac of a local airport in China was detained for 15 days, local media reported. The man, 
identified only by his surname Chen, was on flight 8L9720 on board Lucky Air from Sanya City on China's Hainan Island, the Beijing News reported. The plane had arrived at the Mianyang Nanjiao Airport in Sichuan Province's Mianyang City on April 27. While waiting to disembark, Mr. Chen reportedly felt that the plane was stuffy and opened the ex emergency exit door, causing the escaped slide to be deployed. The slide was damaged in the process, Xinhua reported. On Sunday, Mr. Chen was detained for 15 days by the airport authorities. The airport said in a statement on Sina Weibo that the airline was looking into the amount of damages the man must pay. It reminded passengers that the unauthorized opening of a plane's emergency exit doors is illegal. It caused a section of the country's Airline Safety Act, which stipulated that deliberate damage to facilities is punishable by detainments of 10 to 15 days and a fine. U.S. President Donald Trump has proposed the imposition of steel and aluminium tariffs on Canada, the European Union and Mexico until June 1st, and has reached agreements for permanent exemptions for Argentina, Australia and Brazil, the White House said today. Sorry, yesterday. The decisions came just hours before temporary exemptions from the tariffs on these countries were set to expire at 12.01 a.m. today. In a statement, the White House said that the details of the deals with Brazil, Argentina and Australia would be finalized shortly, and it did not disclose terms. The White House added, the administration is also extending negotiations with Canada, Mexico and the European Union for a final 30 days. In all of these negotiations, the administration is focused on quotas that will restrain imports, prevent transshipment and protect the national security. A source familiar with the decision said that there would be no further extensions beyond June 1st to stave off tariffs. Trump on March 23rd imposed a 25% tariff on steel imports and a 10% tariff on aluminium in March, but granted temporary exemptions to Canada, Mexico, Brazil, the EU, Australia and Argentina. He also has granted a permanent exemption on steel tariffs to South Korea. Seoul is still subject to US aluminium tariffs. Trump is working with South Korean President Moon Jae-in ahead of the U.S. leaders' expected summit with North Korea's Kim Jong-un in the coming weeks. Last month, the government in Seoul said it had made concessions to secure a revised trade deal with Washington and escape its steel duties. Trump has hinted that he might hold up the trade agreement with South Korea in an effort to gain more leverage in talks with North Korea. Extensions for Canada and Mexico had been expected as Washington, Mexico and Ottawa work on revamping the North American Free Trade Agreement. Trump has invoked a 1962 trade law to erect protections for U.S. steel and aluminium producers on national security grounds amid a worldwide glut of both metals that is largely blamed on excess production in China. The tariffs, which have increased frictions with U.S. trading partners worldwide and have prompted several challenges before the World Trade Organization, are aimed at allowing the two U.S. metals industries to increase their capacity utilization rates above 80% for the first time in years. Trade administ sorry, Trump administration officials have said that in lieu of tariffs, steel and aluminium exporting countries would have to agree to quotas designed to achieve similar protections for U.S. producers.
The terms agreed by Brazil, Argentina and Australia to escape the US tariffs were unclear. South Korea earned its permanent exemption from steel tariffs by agreeing to quotas that will cut its steel shipments by about 30% from 2017 levels. The White House said the agreements reflect administration efforts to reach fair outcomes with allies to protect our national security and address global challenges to the steel and aluminium industries. But Canada, Mexico and the European Union have all insisted that they will not accept quotas to gain permanent exemptions from the U.S. tariffs. Canada is the largest steel exporter to the U.S., and its industry is highly integrated with that of its southern neighbour, with raw materials and finished steel crisscrossing the Great Lakes region. Negotiations over U.S. steel and aluminium tariff exemptions for Canada and Mexico have also become intertwined with intensified talks to reach an agreement to update the North American Free Trade Agreement. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said yesterday that any move by the United States to impose tariffs on Canadian steel and aluminium would be a very bad idea, guaranteed to, dis to disrupt trade between the two countries. If the EU is subject to tariffs on the 6.4 billion euros of the metals it exports annually to the United States, it has said it will set its own duties on 2.8 billion euros of US exports of products ranging from makeup to motorcycles. European Commission spokesman Margaritis Skinas told a news conference earlier yesterday. The only thing that I can tell you today is that we are patient, but we are also prepared. Vatican finance chief Cardinal George Pell became the highest-ranked Catholic ever to be sent to trial over historic sex offences today, with the elderly priest vowing to fight the charges. The 76-year-old was impassive throughout the hearing in Melbourne that ordered him to face a jury on multiple charges, although at least half of the allegations against him, including some of the most serious, were thrown out. Not guilty, the top eight to the Pope Francis said loudly and without hesitation when asked his plea, a stance he has taken since first being charged last year. Melbourne magistrate Belinda Wallington said she was satisfied there was enough evidence for a conviction on multiple charges with a directions hearing due, on, due, due tomorrow to discuss a trial date. Pell, who entered the court surrounded by a large police presence, was released on bail on the condition he does not leave Australia. He has already handed in his passport, the court heard. The former Sydney and Melbourne Archbishop has been on leave from the Vatican, returning to Australia to fight the allegations, which relates to incidents that allegedly occurred long ago. The exact details and nature of the claims remain confidential, other than they involve multiple complainants. But in a win for Pell, some of the most serious allegations were dismissed due to inconsistencies in the evidence including alleged offending at a cinema in Ballarat in Victoria in the 1970s during a screening of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Lisa Flynn, a lawyer who has represented hundreds of abuse survivors in several litigation claims in Australia, said the ruling proved no one was above the law. She said, The charging of Pell for these alleged crimes reinforces that people should be and are treated equally in the eyes of the law. This is a promising step forward for victims of sexual assault. 
Pell's case has coincided with an Australian national inquiry into child sexual abuse ordered in 2012 after a decade of pressure to investigate widespread allegations of institutional pedophilia. The Commission spoke to thousands of victims and heard claims of abuse involving churches, orphanages, sporting clubs, youth groups and schools. Pell appeared before it three times, once in person and twice via video link from Rome over the church's handling of complaints against pedophile priests. Australia's Catholic leaders have previously spoken out in support of him, describing Pell as a thoroughly decent man. The Catholic Archdiocese of Melbourne today said Melbourne Archbishop Dennis Hart would be making no comment, but it added that Archbishop Hart expressed his confidence in the judicial system in Australia and said that justice must now take its course. The Catholic Church globally has been plagued by allegations of sex abuse among priests, with the scandals haunting the papacy of Pope Francis, who in February announced the Vatican was reviving its anti-pedophile panel. It followed a trip to Chile in January that was seen as a resounding failure after he defended a bishop accused of covering up the crimes of a pedophile priest. Pell was one of the Pope's most trusted aides, handpicked by him in 2014 to make the Church's finances more transparent. It cemented a meteoric rise by the Australian, who was Archbishop of Melbourne and then Sydney, before being named to the Vatican's powerful College of Cardinals at the behest of Pope John Paul II in 2003. U.S. Vice President Mike Pence blasted weak and ineffective immigration laws yesterday during a trip to the border with Mexico as a caravan of immigrants prepared to claim asylum in America. Pence's remarks came as he toured a construction site for a barrier in the Californian border town of Calexico, 200 kilometers east of the San Diego-Tijuana crossing, where the group of at least 150 people has amassed. He said, I stand before you today when most of the attention of the nation has been focused on the so-called caravan. As the president said on Saturday night, the situation is a direct result of our weak immigration laws and our porous border. The visit came after the Central American migrants arrived on Sunday in the border town of Tijuana, part of a caravan of more than 1,000 people who set out from southern Mexico in late March. Pence describes them as victims of activists, smugglers, and the media and called on Congress to close dangerous loopholes, allowing people to claim asylum in the U.S. rather than the first safe country they enter. Eight members of the caravan crossed into the U.S. Monday, yesterday, according to the Washington Post, where immigration authorities had launched a process determining whether their asylum claims would grant them entry. The Department of Justice, meanwhile, announced the month Late yesterday, it had filed criminal charges against 11 suspected members of the so-called caravan, accusing them of illegally entering the U.S. The department said one of those charged had allegedly already been deported once. Attorney General Jeff Sessions said in a statement, When respect for the rule of law diminishes, so too does our ability to protect our great nation, its borders and its citizens. Media coverage of the U.S.-bound caravan has triggered a flurry of furious tweets from Trump, who ordered thousands of National Guard troops to the border and called on Mexico to stop the migrants. Trump told reporters at the White House yesterday, 
We don't have borders. We don't have a country. And I've been watching for weeks as the caravan came up. And you know, the Mexican laws are very tough on, Im on immigration. Extremely tough. He reiterated his call for an end to the catch-and-release protocol under which people detained by U.S. authorities as unlawful migrants can be released while they wait for a hearing. Trump said, You've got to have a wall, and we need border security, and we will have border security. As you know, we're sending many, many National Guardsmen down to the border. Most of them are already there, and that's having a big impact. But we need a change in the law. Catch and release is ridiculous. Pence's visit comes four weeks after Trump's words. Wall prototypes in Ote Mesa, just north of the border. Plans were launched in 2009 for the Calexico structure, which replaces around two miles of decades-old barriers, according to the Los Angeles Times. Although Trump sold confusion last month when he tweeted photos and wrote, Great briefing this afternoon on the start of our southern border wall. Officials have emphasized that the Calexico barrier shouldn't be confused with the yet-to-be-built wall that Trump made a central plank of his 2016 presidential campaign. Mother Nature has decided to skip over spring in parts of, of America and head right into summer. New York, which just two weeks saw temperatures drop to as low as 37 degrees Fahrenheit or 3 degrees Celsius, could hit 32 degrees Celsius later this week, nearing a record for this time of the year, according to AccuWeather. Same with Chicago, where temperatures was, are set to rise to almost 26.7 degrees Celsius today after near-freezing weather over the weekend. Blame a storm system in the central U.S. that's pumping warm air into the east. Mike Dahl, senior meteorologist at AccuWeather. It will definitely feel like summer. Heat is forecast to spread across much of the eastern U.S. this week, with Philadelphia and Washington also facing temperatures nearing 32 degrees Celsius. It could be the warmest stretch of days for the region this year, according to AccuWeather. The warmth stands to boast the demand for natural gas and electricity as people blast their air conditioners to keep cool. Bloomberg New Energy Finance Analyst Shunondo Basu said in a note yesterday, the first widespread intrusion of spring heat is expected to ignite power burns across the central and eastern U.S. in the coming two weeks. This is in stark contrast with the month of April, which was significantly colder than the 10-year normal for the majority of the nation. The wild weather swings had commuters in Chicago waiting for the train dressed for all seasons yesterday. Some sported hats and gloves, while others donned shorts and t-shirts. Forecast suggests it's safe for them to put the gloves away. Dahl said, the warmth will not come to an abrupt end. In time for your latest football scores. In the English Premier League, Tottenham beat Watford 2-0. In the Irish Premier Division, Waterford beat Bohemians 1-0. Dundalk 5-2 Saint versus St. Patrick's 5-0. Derry City won Limerick 3-0, Sligo Rovers won Bray 2-1, and Shamrock Rovers won Cork City 3-0. And also the Spanish La Liga, Betis beat Malaga 2-1. And that is your news for today. Thank you for listening.